0: I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome once again to the Purple Patch Podcast. And this week, we're going to talk about a little phase of training that I call post-season. You see, performance, no matter your goals or aspirations, is never linear. If you try to train to a simple linear progression, your destination will be plateau town. Excellence bubbles out of training in a cyclical fashion. And if we agree that it should be cyclical, then there must be downtime, a rest, a period of easy load. And we discussed much of that last week in Taking a Break. But what about that return to training? How should you ramp in and set up a better season or year of performance and health than you've ever had before? Well, that phase at Purple Patch is called post-season. And for fitness enthusiasts to athletes chasing world titles, this is the bedrock of your performance breakthrough. It's all-encompassing. It's important. So listen up, hotshot. We're gonna carve your path to a great year of performance evolution. And it starts, no matter who you are, with a proper postseason. And it begins today. But before we go on with word of the week and meat and potatoes, as we like to call it, I want to give you some special words this week. You see, we're hiring. Yes, like a scrubby old piece of A4 paper hanging on the front door of a fast food restaurant with a little sign that says apply inside. All right, not quite. But Team Purple Patch, looking to add to their coaching team. We already have a really close and dedicated team of coaches who I trust and believe in. Paul Buick, Matt Hurley, Michael Zinski, Nancy Clark, Emma Briggs, Brad Hunter, Malcolm Maguire, Sean Garrick, and Kevin Collington. We've got a great team, but we want to add one to two more qualified and passionate coaches who want to adopt, well, let's call it the purple patch way. If you're interested, or you know someone who might be, we've added a complete job description and instructions to the show notes. We're going to begin interviews really soon, and we'd love to have a chat with you. And so, if you like what you hear, if you're inspired to at least explore, please reach out. We're eager to hear from you. Now, let's get back to the show. Yep, it's, well, it's jingle time. You missed it, didn't you? No? Well, here it is anyway. Word of the week. We like the way he thinks. Serious with a wink. What's up in the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the Dixonary Word of the Week. And the word of the week this week. Perspective. This word is a key word to any performance-driven athlete and enthusiast. You see, too many athletes and coaches live in what I would call the weeds, obsessing about every detail, every heartbeat and the pace of every single interval, day-to-day, session-to-session, pass, fail, ups, downs, reaction, celebration, frustration. It's a dark and murky place to exist in and it leads to a highly reactive existence. In the weeds, it is impossible to raise up and see the landscape, to gain, yes, that's right, perspective. As you train, I urge you to commit, and that word's important, commit to regularly coming up a level. If you have a bad day, don't fall into the trap of thinking you're a failure. Remain objective, come up. Look back at the last few days of training and life. Is there a pattern there? Is there any potential cause of that fatigue? Perhaps you were tired because you had a wonderful session two days ago. Or you were tired because of three nights of poor sleep and late nights due to office parties. A little bit of perspective. It provides reason in a dirty and dynamic process, and ultimately it's critical to your success. Let me dig in a little bit. Let's think about some of the CEOs and professional athletes I work with. You see, if I look at those folks, some of the highest performing CEOs and executives, and then I look at my successful professional athletes, they collectively display very common traits that facilitate success. And they're all committed and passionate. They're all resilient and tough. But my question is, what separates the good from the great, the very highest performers? It isn't about being tougher or working harder. It never is. Typically, it's actually down to two main elements. The first, a healthy dose of humility. And the second is the ability to avoid being reactive and instead have the skill to retain, here's the word, perspective. This perspective allows a growth and management mindset, an opportunity to navigate adversity, a trait to remain calm As they must navigate obstacles, overcoming. It can only occur with perspective, and that is why this week, the word of the week is perspective. Now, I call to you. Let's get on with the meat and potatoes. yes the meat and potatoes well a phrase that many of you guys might not be so familiar with post season what does it mean well let's dig in you see no matter if a committed triathlete or simply a performance driven fitness enthusiast we've established in prior episodes that you should train we know that exercise is random but training enables results this is actually a central and key point to when you look at so many group fitness programs out there and they're only able to achieve short term results. The quick hit, noticeable results straight away, and then of course, the plateau. What's the mindset for many participants? Well, what's the next craze? Let's move on. And that stimulus the whole time leads cycle of frustration and failure and a lack of long term results. So if we agree that smart progressive training is key for you, whether you're trying to win a title or whether you're just trying to thrive in life, we've got to appreciate that a certain amount of planning of that training is necessary because ultimately we want the key elements of performance to shine. Those key elements, well, we can anchor it around three very simple words, specificity, consistency, and progression. Now, more on that later, but for most people, and it's natural, it's easy to imagine what that specificity and progression of the hard work looks like. Tougher and tougher intervals evolving over weeks as your body responds to the specific training stress that is applied. But sport, training, adaptations are not and never can be linear. We just can't keep pressing on and on and on and expect to yield more and more results. That is why, in some part, we need a break, and we talked about that last week. We need to take a step back. You see, sport is cyclical, and this is today's topic. After that break, we must start again. It is a cycle, and we find ourselves at the start of the cycle. So no matter whether you're chasing a world title, or you're looking to perform in work and in health, We call this start of the cycle post-season. So let's dive into what that means. What is it? Well, it's a phase of your training that is mostly preventative and preparatory in nature. So it is actually the phase of training with the lowest overhead in terms of your commitment and your time. That sounds appealing, doesn't it? It also lays the technical platform for future training. So we talk a lot in postseason about habit creation and shifting or evolving or improving biomechanics. It delivers the structural readiness, that's your musculoskeletal readiness, to absorb and adapt to the all important hard work that's coming in the months ahead. Because tangentially, by the way, if you do want to improve, you do have to work hard. It doesn't just happen. There is a commitment that I ask of you. But, the biggest factor is that a successful postseason is going to diminish the risk of your future injury. And imagine that you can do something that lowers your risk of the frustration of injury. So in fact, postseason, when we say what is it, is it's a phase of training where, and this is critical, we're not actively searching for massive fitness gains and we're equally not searching for huge performance development at least in the way that most chase throughout the year. Quite interesting that. We're going to go through a phase of training where we're not looking for linear fitness gains or massive performance improvement. Instead, there's the word, it's preparatory in nature. And that's really important to embrace if you're going to be successful with it. So how long does it last? Well, it lasts about six weeks, maybe up to nine weeks. That's it six to nine weeks of your entire 52 weeks of the year that you do something that is preparatory. And how important is it? Well, the answer is it might be the most important phase of your entire progression. You see, at the heart of it, consistency is the clearest identifiable factor for athletes who experience breakthroughs and success in upcoming years. When we go back And we look at our population of athletes and we identify the ones where we have the wow factor. Goodness me, wow, they just broke through. The most consistent thing that we identify is a really well-executed post-season. In addition, skipping this phase is probably the most common factor at the other end of the scale amongst athletes who plateau, fail to develop, or experience injury cycles throughout the upcoming year. So on one side, a great post-season seems to show consistently across the athlete population, great plateau breakthroughs and great success. On the other side, on the scrap heap of disappointment and injury cycles, we have athletes that consistently skip it. And so that's why I identify this as a non-negotiable. You've gotta get it right bypass at your peril because ultimately I believe this is a hidden giant in your performance catalogue. But let's break it down. Let's talk about a couple of the case studies. Here's a classic and these are real athletes. Although I did do the courtesy. I did evolve their names. I have to be truthful. Of course, I might identify them by a name and excuse me if I actually call them by their real name as they go through. I hope I don't mess this up. So Jenny, real athlete, purple patch athlete, came to us. She's low 40s, 43, she's got two children, and she is, as you might imagine, a committed triathlete. When she is all in, she is all in. When it's on, it's on. When she's training and she's chasing another Ironman performance and ultimately seeking another Ironman podium so that she can pursue her dream of going to the Hawaii Ironman, well, it's on. Everything in life tends to be suppressed and she chases her performance. It's full on. But to the other side of that, by the time the season ends, it is all off. The season ends and she takes a big break. Now, she has lofty goals and she can make Kona and she does train hard. During the season, 16 to 18 hours of very hard training. And doing this while she's juggling, well, responsibilities of work, and of course, being a great mother. By the end of the season, she is and consistently is torched. So she feels like the emotional guilt and the practical need for her body to step back and give back to her family and life. So from October to January, no structured training. What that means is that she reverts to, yep, exercise. Do you remember that? The random thing. She exercises, but she doesn't train. Yoga, some running, a splash of swimming, and maybe some spin classes. Well, what's the issue with this? The issue is that come back to January again, it is on, people, it is on. A very quick ramp into very strong training. There is, quite frankly, a bee in the bonnet. The outcome, she's playing catch-up. She's missed those months and she can't get them back. There isn't an opportunity to work on technical development. It is time to ramp to racing. And the first weeks of the year, well, she's not going to get a massive yield to take her above the level she ever has been before because she's playing catch-up. She's in the heightened risk of injury and yes, she has had many niggles along the way and she's ramped and accelerated when low on fitness and low muscle readiness to accept that load. She's got no real time on any season to truly develop as an athlete. And so what she does is she just ramps and gets ready for a race. The results, well, the results were this, another season of performance plateau. Chasing more, getting less. The end of the season, frustrated and tired once again, getting ready to turn her back again. The off-season, spent dissecting yet what went wrong and searching ways to add even more into the training time. What she's missing, yes, our Jenny, she's missing the two of the magic three words of performance. Progression, the ramp is way too quick and coming from way too far behind the season before, and consistency. The only thing that's consistent is her disappointment. So Jenny, did she fix this? Of course she did. I probably wouldn't be telling you the story if she hadn't. What she did last year was finally a committed postseason, But of course, leaving space for the little ones, we've got to look after the family as well. We gave her breathing room, but she remained consistent. And then, and this is important as well, she adopted a more pragmatic and patient development of training over the entire season. And in fact, her training hours at the heart of the season were even a little bit reduced. As ever, integration was the key word. And so when we explore the how-to of postseason today, I want you to think about Jenny in the background. All right, committed triathletes, you get it consistency is key but you might not be a triathlete listening you might be just looking to improve or perhaps you're an endurance athlete that's been incredibly consistent but not thriving well let's think about another real world case big john mr finance and mr stale and yeah mr stale that's nothing to do with his personality he's actually a lovely bloke but big john new york base finance, 48 years of age, two kids and a very busy life. You get the picture straight away. He's exercised for many years, but now successfully he trains. He puts structure driving behind his routine. And his routine is mostly of strength, running and rowing. So as you can tell, not a triathlete. He does add a little bit of riding on my suggestion, non-weight bearing, just on a spin bike, so we can get some intensity and variance in there. It gives me something to play with. It gives me some structure and variance in his recipe. So with his revised approach to training, not exercising, he found great success. But after a time, a year, the results started to become less and less. You see, John, just like his life, is always on, full steam ahead, guys. And the training structure has been great to manage that general tendency. But he's been seeking linear progression, never-ending. But of course, as he charges on, the improvements have slowed. In many ways, his routine, his training, has almost become like washing the dishes or putting out the garbage. It's just something he does. And what's happened with that is a start of a decline of passion, a decline of vigor, a little sense of losing purpose. The byproduct of all of this is losing interest and the re-emergence of some of the negative habits. He's starting to fall into what I would call complacency. Now, this is a really normal human reaction. And what he needs right now is space. He needs to step back and give himself space, a reset, a break. But then he comes back with post-season, a simple shift, even though it's in the fitness world, who's adopting training, a shift from linear to the cyclical. You see, while he isn't an athlete, this is a wonderful chance to reset form, improve the technical elements of what he's doing, and rebuild the platform. The lower stress is a gateway to freshen and replan, to take a step back and come back to the project with vigour. So after a few weeks of patience, he can build and inject that vigour into some very hard work. So with John, what were the results when we did this? We gave him a break, we rekindled passion, and then, under a lot of battling, I asked him to be patient, and progress with care. I asked him to do it a post-season. The results, the rekindling of excitement, renewed purpose, and within a few months, a whole new level of speed and power. You see, when you step back and give yourself a little space and then repeat a cycle of work, The body and mind is ready, ready to execute better than ever before, ready to take on adaptations the second cycle through, ready to reach a new level. His plateau was broken and his willpower restored. And ironically, in his case, and this is paradoxical for John, the answer wasn't to toughen up or push more, at least to begin. It was to rejuvenate and then bring a bigger stick than it ever felt possible. This was a huge and critical step for John. As for his life performance, well, ultimately what happened with him is he simply adopted and embraced an athletic mindset. And a key component of his training was this mindset. He is ultimately unlocking his athletic potential on the path to edge towards his human potential. And it works, but just like what John had, it takes great courage. It's not linear, it's cyclical. And it's very challenging for athletes and fitness enthusiasts to embrace. So let's get to the nitty gritty. What does it actually mean in post-season for you? How should you approach the six, seven, eight, nine weeks of your life? Because we don't wanna retreat, we don't wanna go backwards. We wanna lay the platform to progress. Well, let's go through the guiding principles here. And this is key, this is important. As we go through and execute a plan for postseason, the key principles are number one. This is the phase of your training that has the lowest physical load and the lowest training hours. Sounds crazy, huh? This is the most critical phase of your year and this is the lowest training load and you're going to spend the less time on it. You see, you have a chance in postseason to mix things up, have fun and give yourself quite a bit of leeway. But the specificity, the important parts of it are really critical. The second component and the mindset that you should take on is while physical load and time commitment might be a little bit less, this opens up the door of opportunity to do things better. And so this is a chance to improve your swim stroke to shift your position or even buy a new bicycle. It's a great time to make positional changes. If you're looking to evolve how you sit on the rowing ergometer or how you run, this is the time to do it because you're not chasing, remember, massive performance gains. You're focusing on doing things well. And so the second principle is rather than trying to gain fitness, you're trying to gain technique. And then the third element, is preparation, muscular, skeletal and hormonal preparation. You see, when you go through a cycle of training, we need that break to rejuvenate and repair. But now, post-season, is all about improving the tissue integrity and readiness to absorb the upcoming work. You see, make no mistake about it, I'm not an easy coach and hard work is coming. But we wanna lay and prepare the body to get ready to absorb that work and to adapt to that work because adaptation, positive adaptation, is the main primary purpose of training. And so we have low physical load, we have great technical development and we want to lay the bedrock of musculoskeletal preparation. Well, while you're doing this for the majority of athletes, especially endurance-minded athletes, this is the time of the season that we can do one other thing. Go fast. Yes, speed work. This is a chance to train on variables that are far removed from the more race specific intensity that you might do. So if you're a marathon runner or if you're an Ironman athlete, this is a great time of the year to actually work on very, very short power and speed work with lots of rest. Because remember, it's not just about doing it. It's about doing it well right now. And then the final component of post-season is habit creation. You see, as life fills up and the training program fills up with the hard work, there becomes less and less capacity to be able to focus on technique, but also way less willpower to integrate new and positive habits in maybe some of the supporting elements. Are you gonna evolve your diet? Are you gonna focus on sleep? Are you gonna integrate some strength training? Whatever the habits are, this is the time to begin. And the final piece of post-season, no matter who you are, fitness enthusiast or athlete, this is the time to reground and begin specific and progressive strength and conditioning training. Working on your mobility, your synchronization, your coordination, your stability, and ultimately, your strength and power. This is the time and it should continue and evolve and grow throughout the coming year. Okay, super. So what does that mean? Well, ultimately, the mission of post-season is to retain emotional freshness and leave space to grow. But at the same time, we want to retain specificity and consistency. And as you learned from our case studies, that becomes really important. We want to enable breathing room so that you can grow and evolve, hence slightly less training hours, a little bit more freedom in what you can do. And for many obsessive triathletes, that means, whoa, go cross-country skiing, get on a mountain bike, get on a fat tire bike, whatever it might be, but anchor in with some key and specific sessions that are gonna progress you forward in your sport. You see, it is critical that we are creating the platform to progress from, and this is central. And realize this, that almost any training approach fits into this mindset. This isn't just a purple patch thing. This is smart, pragmatic, and sound principles to follow. Now, for most of you guys, especially you guys in the Northern Hemisphere, it's great, it fits into the time of the year. We're living with cold, short days, and even the holiday season. And so a time of training that has lower time commitment, a little bit more freedom and flexibility, well, it's a great time to have less rigor, but fill our buckets of other area of that thing called life. So today, we won't go into the key workouts of postseason. although I do promise I will post a few workouts for you to reference in the show notes so that you can get a flavor of what we do. But remember, this isn't really about Purple Patch. This is more about adopting the approach and the lens to enable consistency without becoming a winter warrior. You don't need to chase fitness and performance. You need to lay the groundwork. And that's why we call post-season preparatory in nature. So I'll leave you with this, the post-season mindset. What is the way to approach this? Number one, keep it simple. Repeat, evolve, and use familiar workouts that you know and understand and can execute well. Number two, on any intervals that you're doing in post-season, give yourself lots of rest. You're not chasing fitness, you don't really mind about that, so give yourself enough scope to do things well. And that goes for any technical work as well as any other speed or power work. Number three, keep it fun and give yourself a little leeway as well. In San Francisco, in my training squad, Tuesday runs after the swim, social. A time to talk about things outside of triathlon and sport. A time that we can just get to know each other as human beings. And have the courage to try different things. You don't have to be religiously committed to the disciplines of your endeavor. If you are a triathlete, get into a little bit of yoga. Try a bit of hiking, ride a mountain bike, maybe even do some cross-country skiing. You see, you're allowed at this time to have a little bit of fun. But the backbone and the pillar is some specific, consistent and progressive preparatory workouts that lay the bedrock that when it's time to get serious, as you venture on after this important all critical six-week to nine-week phase, you are ready to adapt and absorb. You are ready to evolve and go on and have your best season ever. It is key in post-season that I don't want you to run down your battery of willpower. You see, we need a lot of willpower and it isn't limitless. Our bucket of willpower actually runs out. So in this time of year, have enough training with a little space to breathe and it will keep that battery charged. Neglect creates erosion. Overuse will empty it. So whether you're chasing titles or simply looking for energy to thrive in life, I encourage you, embrace the postseason. It isn't base training. It's not packing in miles. It's about smart, sustainable bedrock to build the hard work off. Have fun, try new things, but don't lose that golden specificity. Good luck with it. Take care. Cheers. All right. So it's been a couple of weeks. So we want to get to a couple of questions this week, if we can. And uh, we're going to go through and we're going to start this week with a nice question from Ken Schweiger, who's in Traverse City, Michigan. And Ken, thank you for your compliments on the show. Really appreciate it. But here's your question that you asked. How important is kicking during swimming for triathletes is it different for training swims versus racing the coach i train at believes you shouldn't kick at all because your legs are needed for the ride and run so the way i'm going to answer that is first Pretty quick, but also I'll send you to another couple of resources. So if you're really interested in swimming technique, I'd uh, send you to the Tower 26 podcast. I think it's a really good resource for overall technical advice in swimming. And then another good venue is Paul Newsome of Swim Smooth. You go to swimsmooth.com. There are a couple of good resources with good information. But ultimately, yeah, I think it's not an all or nothing solution. The key answer when you think about kicking or not cooking in triathlon is really a little bit nuanced. Many people say don't kick at all, but ultimately, look, the legs are a part of the body. At the same time, most triathletes only have one, two, three hours a week to really apply to their swimming training. And so overly focusing on kicking isn't going to provide a good yield of training time and add to that that the vast majority of triathletes have very poor ankle mobility and are simply not going to gain a massive propulsive element out of their swim but at the same time i believe that it is important to at least have an awareness and a use of kicking technically and so how we employ kicking is we never look to try and improve the power of the kick for the majority of amateur triathletes. They have to get up to a pretty lofty element or, or level of performance before we actually start deploying it as a tool to create propulsion. Instead, though, we wanna have awareness. So we do some kicking against the wall, holding a very tall body, to try and get an awareness of kicking and connection between upper body and lower body. We also do some vertical kicking so that it can really help the awareness of good posture, good form, and good connection. Of course, we follow both of those with form-based swimming. And so we do actually do some kicking, and that's really important, but it's more to develop an awareness of good posture in the water, holding, as Jerry Rodriguez would say, a good taut vessel, and enable people to have a sense of rhythm and timing around what's happening below the hips and what's happening, of course, with the propulsive element that's occurring above the hips. But, in short, do we work on kicking harder to try and improve your kick to improve speed in swimming? No. And in that degree, I would tend to agree with your coach. So I hope that that helps. So let's move to our second question of the day, and this question It's from Andrew Witt. And I'm not sure where you're from, Andrew. Please do, guys. When you tell us where you're sending in the question from, love to hear where you're from. Traverse City, Michigan, Poland, wherever it might be. So here's a great question. And this is interesting because I hear a lot of this from actually a lot of female athletes and a lot of male athletes like yourself. So Andrew's a former heavyweight powerlifter turned triathlete. Used to be 260 pounds. I can only imagine. Very scary doorman and currently fluctuate between 180 and 190. However, I'd gotten down to 170 and felt fine just doing the three disciplines. However, this season, he started to integrate strength back into the routine, mostly twice a week, mostly because of overall health, and honestly, well, he enjoys it. And so due to his athletic history, Andrew says that he puts on muscle very easily, and that means that his weight has shot back up. So while it's been successful and I've been faster, I haven't been doing this long. So I'm just curious whether I should continue with the strength work because I might be f- physically stronger or I should focus more on my weight and get lighter. Well, I think the first key thing is what is strength work? And we think about strength and conditioning. It is a critical supplement to your bullseye, swimming, biking, and running. So we never want it to bubble up and become a main feature. So there are ways that you can achieve the health gains and the performance gains of strength and conditioning without actually falling prey of becoming back to that 260-pound Hulk that you were. So the first is Let's think about what strength training is, focusing on core, stability, mobility, synchronization and coordination of movement. movement. And all of those types of exercises you can deploy without actually gaining bulk at all. So is there then a reason to be supplemental? Well, it depends on the person. But when we think about true classic strength training, there are some athletes that need to deploy some very heavy work that's gonna gain hypertrophy. And if we think about a different type of athlete, like a premenopausal woman, strength training in the classic sense remains critical. In your case, it isn't really a limiter. But over recruitment and synchronization of that movement so that you can recruit all of that tissue is probably a good idea. And for you, some heavy strength training is good, but I would keep the reps very, very low. For you, three or less. For many people, five or less. If you can keep it to that lower level and then muscle growth or hypertrophy is much less likely to occur. So I hope that helps. I would absolutely continue to integrate what we would call strength and conditioning, but with a little perspective. Mobility, synchronization, core, stability, a little bit of explosive work, but none of that eight to 15 repetitions at moderately heavy weight. That's the stuff that's gonna bulk you up, especially Andrew. Those are the two questions for this week. We're going to have many more. In fact, in the upcoming weeks, we're going to do a show just on questions again. But until then, remember, questions at purplepatchfitness.com. Feel free to keep them coming. We're going to keep answering them. As we come in, we choose the ones that are most relevant and hopefully can help the most people. Now, let's take one more step back. Let's just think about the lessons of the week this week when we talked about the postseason, The first don't go too long unstructured after your break. Last week we talked about taking a break. This week we talk about postseason. You cannot go too long unstructured. At the same time, remember this postseason, while critical, it's not a time to chase form or chase speed. We're not looking for big fitness. That comes down the line. This is preparatory in nature and therefore your lens to do it well is about doing things right and building great positive habits. And that means you don't have to obsess on the metrics that are going to show fitness progression. Instead, you can think about technically great and positive habits. Nothing more than that. At the same time, fill your bucket of life. Remember, physical stress and training hours should be a little lower than they are at the height of your training progression. And so that gives you capacity to have fun and making sure that as we go through this, you end postseason emotionally charged, enthusiastic with some space to grow, even if you're time-starved. I hope that helps. As ever, if you want to have questions, feel free. Questions at purplepatchfitness.com. We want to hear from you. So take care. We look forward to chatting again. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!